Well, a few weeks ago, I uh, had you do a survey with your phones. Remember that, some of you? I've got another survey for you, so if you've got a cell phone, I'd like you to take it out now. Normally, we tell you to put them away, you know, and silence them. You can still silence them, but I want to ask you this, these uh, two questions. Just got two questions for you this morning, so... Agree or disagree? A for agree and B for disagree. Salvation is a free gift of God apart from the works of the law. 91% agreed and 9% disagreed. All right, that's not bad. Salvation is a free gift of God apart from the works of the law. That's actually true. Here's another challenging question, probably more challenging than that last one. Maturing in your Christianity is a free gift of God apart from the law. Agree or disagree? This one you might have to think about a little bit. To mature in your Christianity is a free gift of God apart from the law. What do you think of that one? Well, the Bible does teach that salvation is, and yet, what about maturing in the Lord? Is that also a free gift, or is it not? Results? <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's, that's interesting. About 50-50. I'm not quite, not quite sure. That's what I kind of thought. Actually, most people believe that God helps those who help themselves, you know? Hey, God, you do your part, I'll do my part, and, you know, we'll get this thing done together. Many of us have come out of a background where we have got to carry out the acts of our faith or the acts of our religion in order to know God's blessings or in order to know God's grace in our life. And so, you know, we've got to practice the sacraments if we're going to know God's grace or know His blessings. Or we've got to make sure that we live within the boundaries or that we do certain rituals. That, that our mindset is that, hey, this is how we experience God's goodness in our life. And this is nothing new. From the time of the New Testament, uh, from the time of the New Testament era, Christians have not had a clear understanding as to how they are to relate to God's laws, how they are to relate to, to God's standards and live up to them. So what is the role of God's law in our lives as he wants to bring about a transformation in our lives, as he wants to bring about a metamorphosis of our lives? Now, some Christians would say, well, the law has no value whatsoever. I mean, you know, we're not under law anymore. Now we're under grace. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Others would say, well, now that we're Christians, no, no, the law is even more important because when we obey the law, we just show that we truly are followers of Jesus. We show that we truly are Christians. So this morning, we are going to get at the truth around what our relationship is to the law of God. Now, I've got to tell you, this is some deep theology. So I hope you're excited about it like I'm excited to share about it. And uh, we'll clear this up, this 50-50. Hopefully we'll get more clear as to what is the role of God's law and how, how is he, you know, what role do we play in growing in our Christianity? Now, when I talk about the law, we need to understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about the, um, the covenantal laws. That would be like even before the law of Moses, God made a covenant like with Abraham, and he had to like, for instance, circumcise the baby boys on the eighth day. That was a law. It was a covenantal law. But there were like the ceremonial laws and the holiness 
boundaries of Leviticus. There's also uh, laws for commerce. There's laws for um, military interaction. There's laws for government. All total, if you add up all the laws that the Old Testament lays out, there is like over 600 laws that the Bible talks about. And this is what I'm talking about when I talk about law, the law, all of that. Um, and so the Apostle Paul addresses our relationship to the law all the way through Romans chapter 7. And so we are going to try to tackle the first half of Romans chapter 7. So go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law. So he's speaking to the brethren, he's speaking to Christians, but he's speaking to those Christians who have this understanding of the law of God. So he's speaking actually to Jewish Christians. Now you might remember from a few weeks ago, if you were with us, we were doing that series called Power Couples, and I talked about Priscilla and Aquila. They happen to be Jewish Christians living in Rome, so they would be an example of who he's writing to here. And he says, do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives, jurisdiction over or master over or authority over a person as long as that person lives. Isn't that true? That's true. Like, for instance, um, let's say that there's a police officer and he's in a little hiding spot, you know, because he, he wants to kind of catch uh, people that are, you know, doing something wrong. And he's kind of by an intersection. And this car comes zooming right through the red light, sideswipes a, uh, a parked car, and then, like, keeps going. Well, he flips on his lights and he flips on his siren and he pulls out and he's chasing after the guy and he's getting on the radio. Oh, we got a 1057, a hot, hot pursuit. Oh, we got a 1031. Oh, we got a 1080. And he's just naming off all these 10 numbers to try and tell him what, what's going on. And he's flying after the guy. The guy's weaving in. He sees the police car coming. So he's weaving in and out. Oh, well, uh, you know, I forget the number, but uh, reckless driving. And, uh, and then he's like adding it all up. You know, like I... All these things that he's going to get this guy for. And the guy makes a sharp turn and he misses the curve and he hits the, the, the side, the, the, the barrier thing. The car flips over and smashes into a tree. And the police officer pulls stops and he pulls over and he gets out and he's thinking, my God, can you believe this guy? What a crazy guy. And he's all mad that he's just going to slap the book on the guy. He gets up to the car. Oh, the guy... He's dead. He didn't make it. Well, all the law that he was going to slap on him no longer has jurisdiction over him. <laughs> it no longer has authority over him because he's dead. And that's really what Paul is speaking about here. Matter of fact, he gives a different illustration in verse 2. He says, For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if, her, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. And now here's the Apostle Paul's point in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren... You also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. You were made to die to the law. 
It no longer has jurisdiction over you. That's why I have in your outline in the back of your bulletins this fill in the blank. The weight of the law is gone. The weight of the law is gone from us. The burden of it. Ladies, imagine if you married a guy named Law. And, you know, this guy, he was, like, perfect. Like, he didn't do anything wrong. I know it's hard for you to imagine being married to a man who's perfect and does nothing wrong. But just bear with me here, okay? So, um, so this guy, he, 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 he establishes the rules of the house. And as he's thinking through all the rules of this house, he comes up with, like, over 600 laws. And he expects, as he's going to do himself, that the rest of the household is going to live up to these laws, right? And he's checking off every single day. Uh, I noticed you didn't uh, do A, B, C, uh, D, E, F, G, and he, you know, he lists off all the things that you've done wrong in the day. This perfect guy expects perfection. How would you feel living in a home with a man like that? are you kidding me there's no way we would like be crushed under the weight of it so what's the option well you could divorce law but that actually wouldn't really work because you go to a court room and the judge everything he's siding with law so you're going to be crushed anyway. <laughs> Murder him? Something to think about, but... <laughs> even in death, he would still crush you. The only way to get out from underneath him is to die yourself. And that is the point that Paul is making here. That we have died to the law. As a matter of fact, from last week, jump back to Romans 6, beginning at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, chapter 6, verse 3, have been baptized into His death? When we're baptized into Christ Jesus, meaning we identify with Him, or we're united with Christ now, we're not united with other things. Verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism, through identity with him, into death. As Christians, we have died to the old husband, you know? We've died to the old husband named Law, and we're living with a new husband named Jesus Christ. We're living with him. Therefore, the weight or the heaviness of the law has been removed from us. And now, our relationship to the law has changed. Before we were with Christ, the law condemned us. The law condemned us. It revealed a standard of living that we should live up to, but we realized that we can't. And so the one, like the woman married to law felt crushed by the weight of it. We too would be crushed by the weight of it. And so our relationship changes from the word should, and it's replaced with the word can. Can. You sh it's not about you should do this and you should do that. You should do this. Now the word that we live by is the word can. 
My mom, growing up, used to have a little nursery rhyme that she'd just spout out, off to us if she ever caught us saying something. You know what? You should just be quiet. Uh, 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 uh. Should is a little word. Never to use. It makes you feel guilty and gives you the blues. Good old mom. Ah, oh, no, you, you know, you should, you should just, you should just stop that. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, should is a little word, never to use. It makes you feel guilty and gives you the blues. Should does make you feel guilty. Should is a weight. Can has a sense of victory, has a sense of hope. And it's true, the law tells us what we should and shouldn't do. But look what the Apostle Paul says over in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Philippians 4.13, some of you will, re will remember this verse. It says, I can do all things through him, Jesus, who strengthens me. I can do all things. Not I should do all things. I can do all things. Here's some things that we can do now that we are in Christ. First of all, I can bear fruit for God in Christ. I can actually live a life that bears fruit for God because I'm in Jesus. Back in Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. Again, at the beginning, therefore, my brethren, you also may, were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. But then look at what he says. So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Joined to him who was raised from the dead so that we might bear fruit. That might bear fruit is, if you want to know a little language, it is in the subjunctive mood, which means it's very probable that you will bear fruit as long as you keep yourself joined to Jesus. What is that fruit that he's talking about? Well, at the very foundation of it, back in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, uh, you'll bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So uh, we maybe realize I have hatred in my heart. I just hate whoever I hate, you know, and you say, oh, wait, I am joined to you, Jesus. So transform my heart from a heart of hate to a heart of love. Or, or we might, you know, we might lack joy in our lives i just don't seem to be you know joy filled and we just say oh, i am joined to jesus jesus give me give me your joy or we we would say um i'm anxious you know i i just tend to get nervous about the future and all that uh, oh wait a minute i am joined to you jesus so fill me with the fruit of peace Call it out. When we sense that, that there are things in our life that go contrary to this fruit, easily frustrated, Lord, give me your patience. I'm not being kind. Make me kind. I'm, I'm, I, I realize that I don't have goodness, Lord. Create in me goodness. Lord Jesus, bear this fruit in me. Bear it in me, Lord. I need you. And the second way in which we can... Um, do all things in Christ Jesus, is I can serve God by His Spirit. I can serve Him by the Spirit of God. Verse 5, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. 
But now that we have been released from the law, having died to that which, by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit, of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Serving in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. I, uh, I'm a little hesitant to uh, admit this, especially with my, my daughters in the audience, um, because the fact of the matter is when I was in junior high and senior high, um, I wasn't the greatest student. My, my, parents, my parents and my teachers, they knew I could do well. And they set a standard for me, and they tried to push me to do well in school. And I just didn't really achieve to the level that they wanted me to. Because I didn't really want to achieve to the level that they knew I could. But then I was, I, I graduated from high school, and I'm like, I'm not going to college. I don't want to go to college. Why would I want to go to college, you know? And then God got a hold of me, and I knew I was called to go into ministry, and uh, I was affirmed by other godly people. And I got to tell you, I had this mindset, well, if I'm going to be a pastor, I better get educated. I better make sure I know what I'm talking about when I talk. And so I thought, I got to go to college, and I got to go to seminary. And I was motivated. And I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my very... Now, those of you who have been in school, you know that when you get a class, there's a syllabus. And on the syllabus, it has the required reading and it has the recommended reading. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I could do another survey, but I already know the result of it. If I asked you, how many of you read the recommended reading? You know? Nobody reads the recommended reading, right? We read the required reading. That's enough, right? Not me when I was in college. Which one of those recommended ones do I want to read? Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to read that too, you know? And I just, I worked really, really hard in college and really, really hard in seminary. I was just real, from the inside of me, I really wanted to learn. I was released from the law, that external pressure that I felt through junior and senior high, now is coming from the inside. I had a new heart towards school, I was motivated from within. And I wanted to do my very best. When we become Christians, God gives us a new heart. When we become Christians, we become new creatures in Christ. We are born again, born of the Holy Spirit, who God places in us. And now we can serve Him with a newness of the Spirit, the transformed heart, where He enables us to serve, and He gives us the motivation to serve. And then God brings about this metamorphosis that happens from the inside, where we're like, I am all in. I am serving the Lord because the Spirit of Him is inside of me. They might say, well, what about our human responsibility when it comes to the law? I mean, you know, how, how, aren't we, like, responsible? Like, aren't we supposed to obey the Ten Commandments? I mean, aren't we supposed to? Or, or we, we think of our human responsibility like, I, we're supposed to, like, practice the sacraments, aren't we? We're supposed to keep the rituals. We're supposed to, you know, behave the way that we're supposed to behave, right? Actually, let me tell us all what our responsibility is as people one word dependency 
Our responsibility before God is dependency. I've heard people say, I have got to obey him if I want his blessings. I've got to obey God if I want his blessings. So we work really hard, and then we say, okay, God, help us. You know, God helps those who help themselves. But here's a fact. Actually, we will know the blessings of God when we depend on him. When we live a life of dependency on him, where we don't ask for help, we ask for enablement. Where we say, Lord, I actually can't do this. If it's going to get done, I'm just wanting you to get it done in me. Uh, You need to work in me. You have to do it. I need you, God. Oh, how I need you. And sometimes in our lives, when we can sense, oh, I know this is what God wants for my life, and it's just not happening, it's like sometimes it's every hour, I need you, Lord. And it's a life of dependency on him. Our responsibility before the Lord is not that we should keep the law or keep the Ten Commandments, but through identifying with Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can bear the fruit that He desires for our lives and we can live to serve Him. Is that clear? That's a very important understanding of our life with Him. It's a life of dependency. Now, all this negative talk about the law. You know, I mean, the law is bad and this whole dependency is good. I got to just clear this up. The law is absolutely magnificent. The law is stupendous, or as I have it in your outline, it's the wonder of the law and what it reveals. The wonder of the law is revealed. It reveals three things. First of all, the law reveals sin. It reveals our sin. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Like, should we have a negative view of it? May it never be. On the contrary, get this. I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Now look at how Paul gets really personal here. He actually shares something that he's struggling with. He says this, For I would not have known, I, Paul says, would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. It appears as if Paul struggled with coveting. You know that word coveting is the exact same word used in 1 John 2.16 and actually throughout the New Testament that is oftentimes translated lusting. Paul struggled with coveting or lusting. Coveting or lusting is this craving that consumes our thoughts and our energies. Those same thoughts and energies that God wants us to use for his honor or for his righteousness to be lived out in our lives. Paul goes on in verse 8, but sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me, Paul speaking personally here, produced in me coveting of every kind. There's so many different types of coveting or lusting. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Have you ever played the game Risk? Anybody, everybody know the game Risk, the board game Risk? Well, I have another confession. Um, I've never lost. (sighs) There's the board game Risk, and uh, of all the times I've played it, I've always conquered the world, let's just say. Now, I know those of you who raised your hand are thinking, 
Bring it on, buddy boy. I'll take you on in risk. I just want you to know I've retired from the game. <laughs> I figure why, you know, why risk it, you know? Why not just finish on top, you know? That's probably the best way to go about it. So I haven't played it in a while. So you might want to challenge me, but I'll probably say, I'm sorry, I'm retired. But let me tell you, um, let me tell you my strategy, okay? This is my strategy whenever, every time I played Risk. What you do is you conquer, see the different colored continents, you conquer different continents or different countries, and, uh, and I would always try to get a hold of Australia. I started in Australia. If I was not even in Australia, I'd make my way over to Australia and conquer Australia. What I would do is I would establish what's known as a, a beachhead in Australia. This is where it all starts. This is where it all starts, and then I'd move out from Australia and literally conquer the world. When it says sin taking opportunity, it's like sin getting a beachhead, getting a starting point, getting an Australia where it can then begin to take over our lives. Sin works this way. And it is the law, the commandments that shine the light on this beachhead, shine the light on sin trying to establish itself in our lives because it really wants to, you know, it's crouching at the door and it wants to conquer us. The place where sin starts, the law reveals it. It exposes it for what it really is. Sin was dead, we didn't even really think about it, but now, because of the law shining the light, whoa, whoa, there's something going on there. The law reveals sin. The law, secondly, and very closely connected to this, reveals deception. It reveals how absolutely deceptive we are about ourselves and about the sin in our lives. Look at verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity getting a beachhead right there, through the commandment, get, get this, deceived me, and through it, killed me. There was a guy, his name was Big John. Big John was a big, gentle giant of a guy. And Big John drove a big automobile, a 69 Caddy. He had it from when he was a little boy, a young man, uh, his first car. He treated it as his little baby. And Big John lived down a long country road, winding, nice smooth hills, little curve here, little curve there. And Big John, all his life, would just drive down that road on that nice sweet ride, and he'd just kind of go over the hills, around the curves. He just loved that country road back to his house. One day, as he was driving, all of a sudden there's lights on behind him. Another police story for you. The policeman pulls him over, and Big John looks up at that young officer and he says, Can I help you? And the officer said, You know the speed limit on this road? And Big John said, You know what? I've lived here for years. It's never been posted. Police officer said, well, it's posted now. Now, Big John's thinking, I can cruise down this road at 50, 60 miles an hour, no problem. I wonder what they set this post, the this, this speed limit sign to. And he thought to himself, 
no slower than 40 miles an hour. He said, oh, well, what's it posted at? The police officer said, it's now posted at 25 miles an hour. Are you kidding me? 20, who, who came up with 25 miles an hour? 25, I've been driving down this road longer than you've been alive, young man. I can't believe, who, who do I talk to to switch? This is not right. This is not right. I can't believe that it's posted at 25 miles an hour. Police officer just backed off, went back to his car, came back and handed Big John a ticket. A ticket, not even a warning, huh? Fine, that's just fine. He rips it out of his hand, rolls up his window. 69 caddies didn't have electric windows, by the way. And he pulled off and drove home. On his way, it started to rub on him a little bit as far as his reaction. And he parked his caddy in his garage, got out, and he walked in. He says, Marge, Marge, wife Marge comes Yes, Johnny. Marge, I got to talk to you about something. Marge didn't know what was going on. He said, I got to tell you, I got a ticket today on my way home, actually. Where'd you go? Where'd you get a ticket? Well, I was speeding down our road. But something worse happened, Marge. I, I got to tell you, I laid, I laid into that officer. There was something inside me that came a-crawling out and it was just barking left and right. I didn't know what was going on. When that law was posted, it was posted to protect. But what happened was it revealed the deceptiveness of sin that was always inside of Big John, but he was able to stuff it until that law shined the light on it. It shined the light that he lacked humility. It shined the light that he had a judgmental heart. He had an arrogance and an anger, a, a, a rage, actually, that this law exposed. John was deceived about the sin in his life. But when the law was given, it exposed what was really inside of him. And it does the same for us as well. See, we tend to look at ourselves in a pretty positive light. You know, well, <laughs> I, I ain't quite as bad as, you know. Not you, Eric. I didn't, I didn't mean to. When we hold up our lives against the perfect law and the commandments, we see ourselves for who we really are. The law kills our false view of ourselves. Verse 12, So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. There's, there's the contrast, by the way. Our sinfulness is seen most clearly 
when it's held up against the law, which is holy and righteous and good. Even though up until that time, we've been a bit deceived as to who we really are. But God is holy and righteous and good. And therefore, the final wonder of the law is that it actually reveals to us God himself. Those words, holy and righteous and good, describe him. The law reflects who he is. If we want to attempt to describe God, even in the most basic ways, we turn to the law and his commandments and we say, well, this, if you try to get your mind around it, this is really what he's all about. And he wants us to grow to be like him. Yet there's no way that we can grow to be like him unless he does it in in us. We can't do it on our own strength. It's impossible. And therefore, just like our salvation is a free gift apart from the law, our sanctification or our maturing in Christ is a free gift apart from the law that he offers to us his son, Jesus, that we would be joined to him, that we would rely on him, that we would focus on him, that we would be united to him, that we would identify ourselves with him and not be so focused on ourselves. And that the Holy Spirit is sent into us that we might depend on this newness of the Holy Spirit in us. And so, Lord, I need wisdom. Help me. Give me wisdom. Lord, I feel weak. By your Spirit, strengthen me. Lord, I'm anxious. Oh, boy, I need your Spirit. I need you, Lord, to bring about your peace in my life. Lord, teach me. Teach me your ways. Guide me in your paths. Lord, I depend on you. I need you. I know what I'm to do. I need to live a life of dependence on you. God wants to mature us. So he reveals to us through his law where he wants to mature us. Maybe it's like the Apostle Paul. You know what? I struggle with coveting or I struggle with lusting. Or maybe it's the fruit of the Spirit that you see and you go, ah, I'm not really bearing that kind of fruit in my life. And so he reveals it to us through his law, and then we turn to him in faith, and we surrender to him. I depend on you, God, to transform me. I need you, Lord. I need you to bring about this metamorphosis that you want to bring about, and that you, only you, can do it. Only you can bring it into my life. Our responsibility, as it relates to the laws, the law reflects to us, yep, I'm not there yet. And so, God, I need you. I need you. 